One of the best things I ever did for myself was to register for the DNA surprise retreat last year. It was shortly after I found out about my DNA surprise and my ethnicity shift. The retreat was a place of community and friendship and understanding and learning that I was not alone. I learned skills to manage the shock and I was learning to begin to heal. I was so surprised that many people were going through the very same thing or similar circumstances. I was surprised by the empathy and the care that I received. I was surprised in a lot of other good ways. Is there any way you can go to the retreat this year? I can highly recommend it in every way. Let your story begin. Let your healing begin. Whether you just uncovered your DNA surprise or you've been on this journey for a while, the DNA Surprise Retreat is for you. Registration is open now. Join us from September 19th through the 22nd, 2024, just outside of Phoenix, Arizona. You can reserve your space at dnasurpriseretreat.com. I'll see you there. Answer more questions, you know, I just had, you know, because she had told me that um, she was a month pregnant. When she found out she was pregnant, she was a month pregnant and she just left town, left her job and got back together with my dad. She didn't tell my dad for like another couple of weeks that she was pregnant. And so I said, oh, but dad's a smart man. Like, didn't he like go to the doctor's appointments with you and do that? Yeah. She said, well, yeah, he went to the doctor's appointments with me. But you have to remember that back then the fathers didn't go in the rooms with the mothers. So that told me she fudged a due date for my dad, right? And you were early. And I was early, early. right? If you look at my, if you look at my baby book, my due date is March first, and I was born February fifteenth. Imagine spinning into a tube, sending off your DNA, and unknowingly turning your life upside down. For me and thousands of others, this is our reality. I'm your host, Alexis Auerselt. In July of 2021, I discovered that I am an NPE, someone who has experienced a non-paternal event. In other words, my biological father isn't who I thought he was. This podcast shares the journeys of people who were shocked by a DNA discovery, mostly through modern DNA testing. We're telling the stories of NPEs, adoptees, and donor-conceived people and their families. This is DNA Surprises. DNA Surprises are, by definition, surprises. But sometimes there are murmurs and suspicions long before a DNA test confirms the truth. In this week's episode, Leanne shares how she uncovered her mother's secret long before she took a test. She talks about how she's navigated her journey so far, including rejection from her biological father. She also reflects on how her admiration for her raised father has only grown in light of her DNA surprise. Thank you for sharing your story, Leanne. My name is Leanne. I am almost 50. I'll be 50 next month. Thank you, Alexis, for having me on and for everything that you do, first of all. I know everybody says that to you, but I wanted to make sure I also included that because your work is amazing uh, with Thank you. the podcast. Um, so I'll start with my family of origin and just sort of what that looked like as a backdrop. 
Um, I, I grew up with my mom and dad and then two older sisters who were uh, 10 and a half and eight years older than me. So much of the time at home, I was sort of an only child. My oldest sister went away to college when I was seven. And my middle sister moved away out of the house when I was like early junior high. But my early, early childhood memories kind of focus around, you know, my mom taking me to dance lessons and swim lessons and gymnastics classes. And, you know, she was involved in Girl Scouts with me. And then, of course, there was always that middle sister that teased me all the time that I was adopted or that I was the mailman's daughter because I do look a little different than my sisters. And into junior high, I was then sort of an only child, quote unquote, in, in my household. And then around that time, both of my parents started getting sick. And my mom was diagnosed with MS. And soon after that, she was diagnosed with breast cancer. And um, much around the same time, my dad was also having heart issues where he required a heart valve replacement and then ultimately had to have a heart transplant. Mm -hmm. So he did um, receive the heart in 1989 and survived a month shy of 16 years. So we did get him for many years, you know, get to have him in our lives for many years after that, which, you know, very thankful for. He got to see me graduate high school. He got to see me graduate college. He got to see all of his grandkids. With that said, my dad and I have a very close connection. And for the purposes of everybody knowing, when I say my dad, I'm referring to the dad, my dad who raised me. So my dad who raised me is my dad. And I'm getting chills as I say this, you know, but he is, he is my dad. So my, mm-hmm. um, and instead of, I don't even feel comfortable calling him my birth certificate father. Like he's, he's my dad. Um, so yeah. my bio father will be bio father. So um, very close connection with my dad. And I'd always called him my hero. He was always my hero with everything he had to fight through with his health and also then taking care of my mom, kind of, they took care of each other back and forth in their health crises. But a couple very poignant memories in regards to that connection with my dad, they both pertain to him being in the hospital and both are over my birthday. Um, The first one, he was waiting for his heart and he was on um, life support and had, you know, mechanical ventilation. He was, you know, had a tube and He was half sedated, but somehow with me standing there, he knew it was my birthday and he was looking in my eyes and I could tell that he was telling me happy birthday. I just knew that he was. Yeah. That was confirmed after he got better and the tube was removed. So then there was a second time where he was in the hospital, the same thing. He had a surgery and um, he was being brought out of a sedated date and he knew it was my birthday and just kind of told me happy birthday. And it was just, it, it's just one of those connections I've always had with him. And so you, you never suspected that he was not your biological father Mm-mm. growing up. You had a really strong bond and aside from the jokes with your sister, yeah. you had no idea. No, okay. no idea. You know, I, it's kind of funny where, when I say, um, I didn't have any idea because I did ask 
questions, right? And and maybe those questions were spearheaded by being teased by my sister. But, you know, I, I do um, have memories after everything starts coming back, right? You start thinking of things and things start making sense. I do have memories of when, you know, I was think six or seven sitting on the bed with my mom and I asked my mom, is dad my dad? And she said, of course he is. I remember jumping up on my dad's lap at one point and maybe this about the same age. And I said, just thinking, I remember the thought in my head was just because of the age difference between my two sisters and myself. That was my thought at that time. But I asked him, dad, was I a mistake? And he said, no, honey, you were a surprise. Mm. So I had those kinds of questions, you know, but never in a, in a way that I didn't belong or I was out of place or I felt like the black sheep of the family. Right. You know, so. Interesting. But interesting that your young self mm-hmm. at such a young age almost seemed to pick up on something, yes. even though you weren't treated differently and you were very close with your mm-hmm, dad. Mm-hmm. So interesting. Through my teen years then, though, my relationship with my mom did become a very contentious relationship. Um, they were obviously very focused on themselves and their health from the time I was probably 13, 14 years old until I was about 19, 18, 19 years old where they were both in and out of the hospital taking care of health crises. And I was in high school and having to get myself from school place to practices and and things like that. And so, yeah, I mean, I was kind of raising myself at that time. And by the time their health was sort of returning back to normal, I was being treated by my mom like I was still 14 because that's where she still had me in her mind, right? Mm. So. Mm -hmm. Um, But by that time, I was 19 years old, and I was dating somebody that she didn't like. And at 19 years old, she kicked me out of the house, basically, because I was um, a teenager making a bad decision and getting back together with a boyfriend who cheated on me. And she didn't like that. So she kicked me out of the house at 19. But it was a few months before I was going away to college. In 1996, I went away to college, but I do want to touch a little bit on the resemblance. I have dark curly hair. I have hazel eyes. Both of my sisters and both of my parents have blue eyes and lighter hair. When I was really young and I look at pictures of my mom pregnant with me, she did have darker hair, but not this dark, not dark, dark brown. Mm-hmm. But both of my sisters are blonder. Um, and again, I'll have everybody in my family has blue eyes. Did that spark any questions for you? I was always told I looked like my aunt, right? There was always, there was, you mm-hmm. know, again, I'm, I, I, I was that person in the family that was told you look like somebody else. And my aunt was uh, my dad's sister. So I, she had a little bit of darker hair and she had green, green eyes. So I always was told that I resembled her. And I think that that was just something my mom lucked out on, right? Like that was something that they could just kind of fall back on. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. There's always some (laughs) relative that's not in the immediate family that, oh, you look like that person. Yeah. We hear that a lot, right? Uh Yeah. Uh You know, in 1996, I I, um, graduated from college. I 
stayed in the area for a couple years where I went to school to kind of wean myself away from the college life. But during that time, during those couple years, I started having seizures and I was diagnosed with epilepsy during that time. So this is probably about 25. I was dealing with that and then my roommate was graduating from college and I didn't feel comfortable living on my own. So I ended up moving in with my older sister and her family. You know, obviously I wonder what must have been running through my mom's mind when I started having seizures. If she even thought Mm -hmm. about, you know, there is somebody in my mom's family, a great aunt that has seizures, but who, who knows? Right. You never know. So in 1998, I'm living with my sister and her family, my oldest sister. And I remember sitting at the dining room table, just having a conversation and out of the blue, she just, I don't even remember what the conversation was about, but out of the blue, she just says, well, when mom and dad were divorced, blah, 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 blah. And I said, what do you mean when mom and dad were divorced? And she said, oh, you didn't know? And I said, no, what? And she said, and she told me then that my mom and dad were divorced for three years before I was born. Wow. What did you think at that point hearing that? I didn't know what to think. Um, She had told me bits and pieces of what she could remember. Um, At the time, she was like seven to 10 when they were divorced. She told me that she remembers going to see dad in a different city and um, spending weekends with him. And she remembers another man that my mom dated for a couple years, but it was only the first two of the three years. So that Mm -hmm. man obviously wasn't, and he also had blue eyes. So that wasn't anything to think about um, as far as that goes, but it still wasn't even anything. I don't even think somebody else being my biological father was even a true thought at that point because even after my sister told me that I just really remember only asking myself what were the circumstances of my conception between my mom and dad right Mm. did did they get pregnant with me and then get back together or did they get back together and then get pregnant with like yeah which scenario happened first and that was really what my thought process was wrapped around not mm-hmm. so much about whether or not anybody else was truly involved. Right. Because our brains just don't go there. Right. You 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 start making sense of it in a way that stays true to your reality. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, okay. So you learned this major information. Do you talk to your parents about that? I don't. Sort of perpetuating that family cycle or that programming where we keep secrets or we don't talk about things. Number one, my mom was sort of, I I just didn't want them to know that I knew, I guess. I didn't, I don't know why I didn't feel like they needed to know I knew they were divorced. I, I, Mm -hmm. I just wasn't in that mindset yet where I needed to break those cycles. Uh, Another thing my sister told me too um, in that conversation was she remembered being dropped off to Florida. My my cousins, my aunt and uncle, who I, my aunt that I told I resembled, my cousins were my sister's ages. And so my mom and dad dropped them off in Florida for the summer to spend the summer with their cousins. And then when they came back from Florida, my mom had moved them 
back to my with my dad so that all of a sudden they were back together with my dad and living with my dad so it was just kind of abrupt she remembers that abruptness in their lives and not being able to say goodbye to their friends in their previous town and yeah so that's sort of how Mm. that all happened in her memory so not a lot of discussion around it it was kind of mysterious even to your sister yeah you know I, I I do remember asking questions to my middle sister and maybe a cousin that I was really close with and or an aunt you know that was around back then and I just nobody really knew anything they remembered her being divorced but nobody really knew anything then my dad passes away in 2005. That, after that happened and I started and I was able to grieve that process, I started then, I think, letting my mind go further into, okay, is there really somebody else? You know, for the next couple of years, I asked myself those questions. The interesting thing is that I was going through therapy during this time too, for other reasons. Obviously, you think in 2005, even now, it's hard to find somebody that understands what this is all about, um, you know, mm-hmm. the, NP, the NPE situation. But it just didn't, I just didn't, after that, I really just didn't feel like she was able to kind of help me as much with this situation. There were other things that she did help me with, but I didn't get help on this situation from her. I had to ask myself questions. I asked, you know, again, family members more questions about other people, about, you know, nobody knew anything. But of course, then at that point, cousins would say, you know, well, there was, you know, I always wondered, I always wondered there was, you know, you know, so-and-so, you know, would always say to me. So then I'm starting to feel like the family secret, right? Because people were talking, it's just making you feel like a secret. (laughs) Yeah. How did you feel when you started hearing or getting this inkling that you'd been a topic of conversation? I don't know how to put it in a feeling, but it gave me the goal of my journey in no longer wanting to be the secret. Mm -hmm. Like, I think um, from the beginning, it's never really been uh, for me about having a father, finding a father, or... um, you know, maybe a bonus with a connection with siblings, but I had, um, I had my siblings. So if we found a connection with some other siblings, that could be a bonus, but it was more so about no longer being a secret. And I, I came to that realization after doing, you know, a lot of work on myself and a lot of journaling and, you know, things like that at a different place further down past 2005. So, yeah. So, so you know, 2005, my dad passes away and I'm asking lots of questions. Um, And then 2007, um, the week of my birthday, I'm having a conversation with my middle sister on the phone. And she, I'm asking her questions again, just thinking out loud and, and things like that. She says to me, well, now that dad's been gone for a couple years, I guess I can tell you how I feel about the situation. I said, what do you mean? How do you feel about what situation? And she said, well, when I was going to the community college, you know, I had biology and 
We were learning the Putnam Square, big B, little B, recessive dominant genes. I went up to the teacher after class and I asked him, so what you're saying is two blue-eyed parents can only have a blue-eyed child. And he said, that's exactly what I'm saying. So for 20 years, she carried that with her and never said anything to anybody. Um, so we're both freaking out on the phone. I, I'm Googling with her on the phone, like paternity eye color percentages, you know, because we're talking 2007, like there isn't even commercial DNA testing yet. Like I did look up full sibling DNA tests that you could get online. Um, and at that point there were $500. Like you could get them right. online, but they were very expensive, you know? Yeah. Um, and so my sister had said, you know, I'm here to support you. I'll do whatever you want, whatever you need. Um, she was willing to pay for half of the, the full sibling DNA test. You know, she was coming up with different routes that I could take to find out different pieces of information. And at this time, my mom was in early kind of more developing into moderate stage of dementia from her mm. um, MS. And so she was still living in her house from after my dad passing away. She was still in her house. But when my sister was home and not flying as a flight attendant, then my mom would stay at her house. And so one day, probably within a week or two after this conversation, my sister called me and said, mom's going to be at my house. Do you want me to see if we can get her to admit this? And I said, well, you might as well have a conversation with her because see if what she says before we go and spend five hundred dollars, right? See what she right. see what she remembers, see what she says. She approaches my mom with the same biology story and Putnam Square and says, Is it possible that dad is not Leanne's biological father? And she immediately said, I know he's not. Wow. My sister said, How sure are you? And my mom said, I'm 100% sure. So by that time, with all the questions I've asked myself and all the thoughts and things that I've tried to feel, and by that time, I was more shocked that she so readily admitted it than the fact that it was actually true. Because at this point, I mean, do you feel like you'd come to terms with the fact that that was probably the case? Yeah. After doing my okay. own like research with the eye color probability, like you know, nowadays with with genetic advances, we do know that there is a very slight possibility that two blue eyed parents can't like that's been further investigated and and things. So we do know that now. But back then, that's just you have the Putnam Square, you see Big B, Little B, and that's just how it's defined, right? See. Mm -hmm. When my sister, when this came to me, this information of, yes, she admitted it, I was working um, at, I had a second job where I was teaching a class at night and I was just getting ready to go into my class to teach when I got this call. And so after I got this information, I had to go teach class. <laughs> and so, yeah, I just remember that I have no idea how I even got through that class, but my class of adult students were the first people that knew this information <laughs> because I oh just, my gosh, so you told your I class. Just, I had yeah. to go in there because I was in such a panic and freaked out state that I just had to be like, okay, you guys, I'm going to do my best to teach the class, but this is the information I just found out. 
<laughs> so be patient mm-hmm. with me. <laughs> so you taught your class and just got through. Yeah. And then I left and I called my mom on the way home. And so um, I had, you know, lots of questions, obviously. And um, she answered them to her best ability. Like, I truly feel like everything I asked, she answered honestly, as much as she could remember with her dementia and probably what she blacked out because of abrupt change in her life and just moving on with getting her life back together with my dad and my mom was the love of my dad's life and so I'm sure for those three years that's all he ever wanted was his family back together you know and when Mm -hmm. she ran back to him it was no question to him the things that she could remember about my biological father was that he had um, dark curly hair. Yeah, just like you, yes. Um, Mm -hmm. He had darker eyes. He was from the Philadelphia area, but he would fly into the Chicago area because he worked for the same company my mom worked for. So he would fly into that office every couple weeks or whatever, and he was Jewish. And he was married with at least one other daughter. They dated, quote unquote, dated um, for about six months. But she couldn't remember a name. So you're taking all this information in. You learned that now you you have Jewish uh, lineage. Mm -hmm. Did you think about that at all during that time? Or were you more focused on who he was? I think I was more focused on who he was at that point. Yeah, the cultural piece is a whole other thing to unpack, right? It, it, it really yeah. is. It really is. Which I'm not sure I've truly done, to be honest, yet. Which is, you yeah. know, another thing I'm working on among many. <laughs> sure. It's lifelong, mm-hmm. right? Did your mom express any remorse or anything when you spoke to her? No, I would not say remorse was anything I felt. I never felt remorse from her for kicking me out of the house either. She feels like if she was in the right, that she did the right thing. You know, I made the right decision. You know, that's just how. Now, with that said, looking back on all of this and even through different periods of time, even then, in the beginning, never had anger. I was never angry Mm. with my mom because... I feel like she made the right decision in getting her family back together. Um, I had the best dad in the world that I could have had. I can't say that looking back on the circumstances she was in and the time period that it was, that if I was in her shoes, that I wouldn't have made the same decision. Did I have anger about the timing of finding out and how it came out? I had to process that too. And I don't think I ever had anger for that either because I don't think I would have wanted to look my dad in the eyes with this knowledge. Mm. I don't think either of us would have wanted to look each other in the eyes with this knowledge. Do you think he knew? Um, That was always a big question for me. Interestingly enough, I have talked to a very, very good medium who did confirm for me that, yes, he did know. 
and Mm -hmm. they could not have the very difficult conversation that would have needed to have been had and still go on with their marriage. They just couldn't have hit their marriage, couldn't have withstood having that very difficult conversation. So they had to go on with living with the unsaid and that's just how they work. Okay. Wow. Which makes perfect and total sense. So you have this conversation with your mom, you learn some details about your biological father. What do you do next? The following years were still prior to me doing the DNA testing and really kind of having that fear of the security and privacy issues that that surrounded that. You know, still, it's still fairly new on the market. And, you know, I I work in healthcare, so um, I'm privacy concerns like that are always on my mind. Before I decided to take the test, you know, still all these memories are coming out of the woodwork. Like things that you don't even, like, how did I not think about this? They just slap you in the face, right? I had one of those memories and it's so, (laughs) it's so funny because of how my sister told me about this. One of my memories that completely slapped me in the face was I was in college and don't tell, don't ask me why I didn't make this connection in the couple other times I learned the Putnam Square myself, but I was in my anatomy and two physiology class in college, which was a lecture hall of people. (laughs) And the professors, professor standing in front of the class, doing the whole Putnam Square again and He says in front of the class, so this means two blue-eyed parents can only have a blue-eyed child. And I raised my hand in front of the lecture hall of class. And I said, well, I know that's not true because both of my parents have blue eyes and I don't. And he said, you might want to talk to somebody about that. And just went on with the lecture. Wow. Yeah. And so I remember walking out of that class thinking, okay, this teacher has no idea what he's talking about. Like, because mind you, this was before I moved into with my sister and before I found out, you know, that they were divorced. So I'm thinking my parents have been married for 30, 35. What does he take? He doesn't know. So yeah. So those kinds of memories during this time are all coming back to me and just sort of, you know, the memories of, you know, asking those questions when I was younger. It was finally in 2017, when I really started, I guess, realizing that my urge to know answers was stronger than my fear of the privacy issues that could potentially be out there. And I think I always knew in the back of my mind that I would eventually do it. I needed to be, I would know the timing when the timing was right to do it. Yeah. So at that point in time, I decided to do, um, it was like end of 2017. So beginning of 2018 is when I got my um, 23andMe results. I did 23andMe first because of the health component, because I did know I was Jewish and um, Mm -hmm. I knew that considering breast health, if you're Ashkenazi Jewish, that that increases your breast cancer risk. So I wanted to include that health component with that, um, knowing that even if it was negative, 
that could still, you know, it, they only look at certain components of the, of the health, right. the DNA. So, um, but luckily, you know, it did come back negative and, and, you know, but I, I, it did confirm that I was Ashkenazi Jewish and I was 50%. So that confirmed for me that my biological father was 100% Jewish. It also confirmed for me that my mom had that memory, right? So everything else she remembered back then was probably correct. Now, did you have any matches when you took the test? I did not have any significant close matches. No, I had like second to third cousins and, and, and higher. I let a few months go on sitting on that kind of feeling the feels about, you know, how I'm feeling with that information and how I'm feeling with no matches and how I would feel if there were matches. And I made a decision, okay, I think I want to do ancestry. Oh, and at this time I'm joining Facebook groups, support groups, and I'm doing more research and I'm finding out the NPE terminology and, you know, digging in that way too. Mm -hmm. Um, So I decided that I wanted to do ancestry to sort of widen my net. (sighs) Christmas of 2018, my boyfriend got me the Ancestry kit. I sent that in pretty much right away. I got the results. I can't remember exactly when I got the results. I remember waking up at five o'clock in the morning on a weekend. <laughs> and, you know, I just can't sleep. So I'll just get up and sit on the couch and watch TV. But I noticed I got my results. So I opened up my results. There's my aunt. I see my aunt. I know who my aunt is. And there's somebody underneath her that says close relative to first cousin. And it has a first name and a bunch of letters and numbers, right? Like a username. Yeah. Like dug deeper into ancestry and found, you know, the the relative um, examples that it could be. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, okay. So this person is, this person is somebody I don't know. Like, (laughs) So I'm freaking out at five o'clock in the morning. There's nobody I can call. My boyfriend is in bed sleeping. I can't like even jump, jump up and down and scream. Like I, I'm even kind of shaking right now talking about it because I'm feeling all of those yeah. just back there feeling that again, you know, I'm just freaking out remembering seeing that, you know, doing my own research, um, it just kind of wondering what to do with it, sitting on it. Um, it was in, and I, again, I can't remember how long I had the information and I don't see myself sitting on it for very long. Um, but it was in, um, April, it was April 5th, 2019, when I sent this close relative match, a message on ancestry. I included some very specific information so that he knew I tried to be, I tried to walk a thin line. Like I know there's very sensitive, you need to be very sensitive and very careful. I, but I also didn't want him to think I was like some scammer, right, you right. know? So I said it in a way where I was looking for this third party instead of like, I think you're my blah, blah, blah. You know, I'm, I'm looking for my paternal half or I'm looking for my, you know, you know, something, you know, uh, related it back to yeah. me. And um, so I gave them some information that I knew about. Um, not everything. I didn't spew out everything right away. But <laughs> he responded, 
like the next day, um, it wasn't right away that he responded. He responded the next day um, with some clarifying questions. Um, and then pretty much said, well, Leanne, it looks like I'm your older brother. Wow. And so now I'm freaking out. I have this half brother. I've never had a brother. Oh my gosh, I have a brother. (laughs) What the heck does this mean? You know, um, we're going back and forth. He provided me some basic information you know, to confirm that, yes, he believes this is true, and he, but he didn't want to provide a name until he could have a chance to talk to his dad. So his dad is still alive? Yes, still alive and still married to the same woman. Mm. And they're both still alive. Um, and there's also a half-sister who is 14 months older than me. So how long does it take for him to talk to your biological father and his wife? Yeah, it takes a few weeks because when I get in contact with him, his parents are, they were on vacation. And then on the heels of their vacation, my half brother was going to be leaving town. And so it was a few weeks. um, And in the meantime, um, he and I were communicating a a little back and forth. And he um, finally ended up having a conversation um, with his dad on April 22nd. So from the 5th to the 22nd, I'm like freaking out. Just the anxiety is crazy. I just remember carrying my journal around with me everywhere and just randomly at work having to pull it out and just brain dump because it was just so, I just couldn't focus. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, trying to think about blowing somebody's family up. What is this going to do? I've had 15 years to think about this. This is new to them. Like what is going to happen? You know? So my half brother responded back to me via ancestry and said that he's very disappointed to let me know that um, his dad did not want to pursue it. And, you know, I think by that point I was prepared for that response because I had found out that he was still married. You know, I obviously knew sort of a lot of his background by now. Yeah, right. <laughs> I'm sure my mom wasn't the only one. Mm. Traveled a lot for work, you know. Um, and the half-brother used to work with him. So he was around you, right? So he knows a lot of his dad's secrets, I'm sure. Mm. Um, but... Um, at that point in time, um, the half my half brother did agree to store still keep communication open. We we agreed to have a phone conversation at that point. But with that agreement, I feel like it. I felt still a little put off, even in that agreement. Like he wanted to, but yet didn't want to go against his dad's wishes. Right. right. Now that he knew what his dad's wishes were. Um, And so every time we would make plans to have a call, something would come up um, or then he was going to be on another road trip or, you know, then finally when we were finally able to have the conversation, he was only going to be available for a couple hours. Mm. So it was like, okay, let's do this now. Yeah. Um, And I gave him my phone number. And he um, 
called me from a private number. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, and it was a brief 30 minute conversation. And he told me how um, the conversation with his dad went. And it was a very brief. He um, told him, you know, asked his dad, do you remember? Um, gave him my mom's name. And he said, oh, yeah, I remember her. Very surprised and was like, oh, yeah, you know. Mm -hmm. And he said, well, Dad, it looks like you have another daughter. And there was silence. And then he changed the subject. So he continued the conversation a little bit with his dad. Brought the conversation then back to me eventually and said, what do you want to do about this? And he said, I just want to leave it alone. How do you feel about that? I mean, you said you, you'd kind of expected it, but how did it feel when you talked to your brother and got that confirmation? Um, I was, I was sad. I, I felt a ping of hurt. Um, I, you know, of course that's hurtful. The thing that I wasn't prepared for that hurt even more was to be asked to keep it a secret from the half sister until at least after the parents were no longer around. Mm-hmm. Here I was still being kept a secret. Yeah. That's what really hurt. I sat with that for a while. Um, you know, I did my own digging. I, I dug further into um, the first ancestry finding the last name. You know, my half brother wouldn't give me the last name. So I dug further into, into ancestry, found the last name. Then I dug into Facebook and I'm finding more, I'm finding pictures. And I find a picture of my biological father and took my breath away when I looked at my eyes for the first time. And I didn't even like expect to have that response, you know, because I I do have, there are some maternal resemblances, you know, but I didn't expect to have that kind of response to the eyes. I, you know, taking screenshots, I'm like, you know... (laughs) screenshotting everything and uh, yeah I just putting everything into a folder on my phone and just trying to dig things up doing my own healing with this information what can I do with this how do I feel about this Um, sitting with it talking to people in the support group and just trying to figure out you know coming finally coming to the terms with you know this is my journey this is my story and it's okay to do with this information what I feel like is right for me, regardless of what they think. Right, right. And ultimately, she does have a right to know the truth and do with what she feels is right for her. Mm-hmm. If I had, if any of my siblings found another sibling and didn't tell me about it, I would be livid. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I sat on it for a couple of years. It took me a good couple years to um because i i you know i came to terms with the fact that i would reach out to her but then i i had to feel like i needed to be in the right mind space to be okay handling rejection again yeah i had to get myself to making the decision of this is what i'm going to do and then i had to get myself to the point of okay if this is how it goes i'm okay with it Mm -hmm. You know, I, I had her on, saw her on Facebook, so I thought, you know, this is what I'm going to do, and I'm just going to do it, and I had one of my friends, 
you know, kind of read through it and help me edit the message, you know, and uh, a friend that I was with at the time that I sent the message for support. And, you know, I didn't hesitate once I had it typed out. I didn't hesitate. I just hit send. But I told her a little bit of who I was. And, um, you know, I mentioned the half brother's name. So she didn't think I was like some scammer again. Right. right? Like, so I didn't want to throw him under the bus, but I also wanted her to know that, okay, yes, this is, this is how I connected. Right. That was, um, September, 2021. So September 1st, because we're not friends on Facebook, she didn't see the message right away. Yeah. Um, so it was then September 11th as she responded. I'm a big number person. Mm-hmm. Right? So there's those, there's the one mm-hmm. September 1st and September 11th. So I'm like, Oh my gosh. But <laughs> Her response was very much like, um, this is very surprising. I'm, I'm in shock. I'll need some time, but oh my gosh, I have a sister, you know, sort of a, you know, sort of a response. Yeah. So I was just like, of course, I completely understand. Take some time. You know, she took a, a few days, a couple, two or three days, which was, I thought she'd take me more time, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but then at, by that time, she started having questions, right? So um, she'd reach out to me for, for different questions, different questions, and I would tell her, I'm like, I will answer whatever I have the answers to. I will tell you the answer, you know. So we were talking back and forth, getting to know each other, figured out we drive the same exact car. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's crazy. Like we have, we do, we do have a lot in common. We, there are very much similarities. We are sharing pictures back and forth. A lot of similarities um, when we were kids. Um, and some similarities between what I look like as a child and what her girls look like. And so we were, you know, uh, comparing things like that. And then November, 2021, her and her husband were taking a long um, vacation a long weekend to Washington, D.C., and actually invited me and my boyfriend to go out there and meet them. Wow. So I was like, oh, my gosh. Well, my my boyfriend couldn't make it because of work, but I was like, I am not missing this opportunity. Yeah. <laughs> I lost contact with the half-brother. You know, he sort of was, I'm guessing, protecting his mom, protecting his dad's secrets, abiding by what his dad wanted. I took her up on it. I went out to Washington, D.C. They met me at, they picked me up at the airport. They paid for my hotel room. Like they met me with such welcome, open arms. We got to know each other, toured Washington, D.C. Now I say we, we got to know each other and, and exchanged a lot of stories, but I still felt walls. Sure. There's still, there were still walls and, and reservations and things. Um, a lot of things she was dealing with, right? And of course, I was very much in the front of my mind was, okay, for me, this is the culmination of 14 years. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but for her, this is like brand new information. Mm-hmm. So I was still very, very sensitive to that and not wanting to be so overwhelming or, you know, just wanting to take things at her pace whatever she was comfortable with. Yeah. So that was just a long weekend and they were driving back home sooner than I needed to be at the airport. And they just sort of dropped me off near um, where I could walk to the Lincoln Memorial, which is where, 
you know, where the reflection pool is. So I'm walking around that area and just like literally reflecting in awe of what just happened yeah. that weekend, you know, and, you know, wondering if and when I'll ever get to see her again, because, you know, she's got a lot of emotions she's dealing with on her, her end. You know, she had mentioned that she wasn't planning on having a conversation with her dad about it. She was very upset with her dad about it because of how he responded. And if he had already given that kind of response, she's more concerned with her mom, which I understand. And that it's been a year since we met. So that was November, 2021. And we're still in some contact. I, I would say that sort of died down a little bit. We still are in communication via Facebook. I don't, I mean, I, I have her number from the trip, but I don't text her because she, her girls don't know yet, doesn't want to give them a different outlook on their grandfather. And yeah, so that's been a year. I am content because I feel like I reached my goal. Yeah, I'm no longer the secret. And what they now do with that information is on them. Yeah. How else would you describe where you are right now in your journey? It's a work in progress, right? Like, so I, I, I'm in a place where now I'm, instead of trying to find the answers of my biology, I'm trying to find my doing the inner child work and the shadow work and, you know, to tie into um, you know, my Jewish heritage, there's a whole other ancestral trauma thing yeah. that goes along with that, you know? And so I've just been doing a lot of starting to do a lot of that work, um, on myself too. And that's something that is up on my vision board to get deeper on this year. And so mm-hmm. that's sort of where I am currently. Um, there have been a couple big realizations that I've had um, pertaining to my mom and my dad throughout my journey and um, different points of time that I've realized different things. Biggest thing that I've realized in regards to my dad is how much of a hero he actually was in my life. And I always called him and didn't even realize how much of a hero he was. Yeah. And getting the response that I got from my biological father proved even more to me the kind of man that my dad actually was. And that's beautiful, you know, that that he knew and to hear the relationship as you describe it with him is really special. And I honestly feel like it's gotten even stronger through all of this. I feel him with me all the time. I, you know, I mentioned briefly the medium earlier that I I spoke with. Immediately, he came through saying, "You're my daughter. You're my daughter. You're my daughter." Like it, he just needs to make that. He just truly needs to make that clear. There's no question. You you mentioned you you had two big kind of takeaways. What's the other one? Yes. So for my mom, I um, kind of made the connection back to when I was 19 and getting kicked out of the house, I feel like that was a huge moment in her life where she was subconsciously or consciously being faced with her own demons in her past that she couldn't deal with. And that's why I got kicked out. Mm. 
because of the whole cheating link. And so I came to know that was something that I healed from in, in kind of having um, an understanding, if you will, not, not being able to forgive her for that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was something that I healed from through this. And another thing is I do feel very, very lucky in reading a lot of other people's stories that my mom actually told me the truth that she was able yeah, to. Yeah, yeah. Right? Maybe she didn't know a name. Maybe she couldn't tell me everything. But she didn't try to perpetuate yeah, the lie. That's true. And like I said, I don't know if I, I don't know if I would have made the same decisions if I wasn't in yeah. her shoes back, back in the days. So I was lucky also enough to have a lot of this healing. My mom just passed away mm. in July of 2022. So um, while I do have this layer of this journey on my grief process, I was lucky enough to have a lot of this sort of information before she passed and healing before she passed and conversations with her, even if it was for myself in her dementia with her before she passed. I admire your patience because it spread out over a really long time. And I think for for those of us who take Ancestry or 23andMe tests or MyHeritage, any of those, we're able to get more immediate answers and mm-hmm. really dive in. And the internet, I feel like, is even more vast mm-hmm. than it was, you know, 20 years ago, 15 years ago. So it's remarkable to hear your journey over this span of time. Yeah. Um, so thank you for sharing that. Of course. What advice do you have for a parent who is keeping a DNA surprise from their child? I would have to say that the truth will come out, number one. So being honest with your child from the beginning is of utmost importance. Age appropriate, obviously. It's okay to have a not very good story to communicate to your child and teach your child the perseverance it takes to get through a situation, right? Even now, you know, I say even I'm thankful that I didn't know when my dad was alive, but I think that maybe that could have been different if I was communicated that from the very beginning, right? Maybe I would have a different perspective of that if I did know from the very beginning. But once I Mm -hmm. got older, I think of if I would have found out at 18 or 25, I was 35 when I found out after he passed away. So it's either, yeah, just do it as early as possible, as age appropriate as possible. And what advice do you have for someone who just discovered that they're an NPE? Number one, whatever you're feeling is so valid. That's the first thing, because people will try to tell you otherwise. People will try to tell you how you should be feeling, or you shouldn't feel this way, or you're still the same person, or, you know, well, apparently, Yes, I'm the same person, but I truly never knew who that was. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I, so, or nothing has changed. Yes, nothing has changed, but everything has changed. So, in my journey, I've tried to, I've tried to take a step back and take that into an educational opportunity where I'll explain something like, comments like that have a visceral response to us, much like when 
somebody who loses a loved one too soon and hears they're in a better place. Because to that person who lost that loved one, it's not true. It's the same kind mm-hmm. of visceral response when we hear those. Yeah. So I just kind of try to take that um, as an educational opportunity. Um, journal, 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 journal. Carry it around with you. Brain dump. Therapy is important. Um, and finding the right one is important. And also I think what's important is don't let your physicians tell you that it doesn't matter. I hear stories mm-hmm. all the time how physicians, oh, okay, well, we'll just delete your, we'll just delete your history. No big deal. But they don't realize the trauma that the patient in front of them is just going through. And so I think that there's a lot of education, not only to therapists for this NPE world that um, we have now, but also physicians need to Mm. also know the sensitivity surrounding this and that it's not as easy as just erasing somebody's paternal history in their medical record and being fine with it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, especially as you mentioned, all the medical implications for you with your Jewish ancestry, Yeah, Um, just, you know, things that you have to be aware of. So a hundred percent, that's great advice. Well, Leanne, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and sharing your story. I'm so glad we had the chance to connect and that you've been able to connect with some parts of your newfound family. And I hope that those connections continue to grow and that you find peace in your journey. Thank you so much, Alexis. And I can't wait to meet you in March. (laughs) Yes, we'll see you at the Untangling Our Roots Summit. (laughs) Thanks again to Leanne for sharing her story. If you have a DNA Surprise story that you'd like to share, please email dnasurprises at gmail.com. Until next time.